This morning we're going to be talking, continuing looking at Philippians 1. We started last week our series on Philippians, and we're going to continue looking at Philippians 1. And we're looking this morning on growing in hope, what it means to have a hope in Christ. We sung a few songs this morning about the hope that we have and the hope that we have in Christ. So if you turn with me to Philippians 1, and we'll start reading at chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Church at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, and I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So this morning we're looking at what it means to grow in hope. This is a great chapter of the Bible to use to speak about hope. Not only because Paul mentions the word hope 
and talks about it, but he actually demonstrates it in the writing of this letter. The whole chapter there is full of hope that Paul has for himself, for what God's going to do, and for the people in the church at Philippi. And when we talk about hope this morning, we're not talking about the word hope as we use it on a day-to-day that I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow, or I hope my football team wins and Frank's team loses. That's just wishful thinking. But we think, think it's more than wishful thinking. One writer puts it as this, our hope in Christ is not just wishful thinking, but a confident expectation. A confident expectation of what God is going to do. That's what Paul has, his confident in what God is going to do. In verse 6, he put, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In verse 20, he says, But I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, and I eagerly expect and hope. All through this chapter, Paul is talking about the confidence that he has, the expectation he has that Christ will do something, that God will do something. But you know, when we look at the Bible, or I know that I do, it's very easy to say, well, of course Paul's got hope. Of course Paul's got confidence. It's Paul. He wrote part of the Bible. He was this great apostle. He lived in Bible times. Of course we would expect Paul to have that hope and that confidence. But the truth of the matter is that when Paul was living, as far as Paul's concerned, it wasn't Bible times. It was just times. It was just when he lived. And Paul had the same struggles and heartaches and difficulties in life that you and I have. Yet he still kept that hope, that confident expectation. In Corinthians, Paul is describing some of the things that have happened to him and some of the things he's had to deal with. It's a very well-known scripture. You don't need to turn to it. But Paul says that he's been in prison more frequently than others. He's been flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again, five times received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, three times he was beaten with rods, he was pelted with stones, three times he was shipwrecked, He spent a day and a night in the open sea. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from false believers. There's a lot of danger there. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, and I love this because he's writing to the church, he lists all those disasters and how hard it is. And then he lists, and I've got to deal with you lot as well. <laughs> I think there's a few pastors over the years that would probably sympathize with Paul and say, well, yeah, absolutely. But he lists all those things that have gone on. And yet we see Paul still can write a letter full of such hope and confident expectation to the church in Philippi. And as he actually writes that letter, he's not writing it from the last night of spring harvest where the praise and worship's been fantastic and the teaching has been wonderful. He's writing it when he's in prison. He's under house arrest and he's restricted. He can't go and do what he wants to do. He can't be with the churches. While he's in prison, there's people going around trying to stir up trouble for him, preaching the gospel out of false motives. Yet Paul can still keep hold of that hope. It's full of what God's going to do how God's going to use him, what God's going to do through the people at the church in Philippi. He absolutely, completely keeps hold of that faith, which is absolutely rock solid. And so it leaves with the question, do we do the same? Can we keep hold of that hope 
when the hard times come. You know, so often we can be going through life, can't we, and things are sailing along really well. Think everything's sorted, our life's all nice and tidy, everything's in its little compartment, things are going well. And then, all of a sudden, from the middle of nowhere, comes a circumstance or a situation that just knocks us sideways. A tidal wave from nowhere that just seems to leave us in what feels like a hopeless situation. Uh, 13 years ago, my brother and I, we set up our own business. And after much prayer and thought and consideration, we, we launched our business. And like most businesses, the first two or three years, it was very fragile. It was hard to establish you know, our market and all those type of things. But in that time, we really saw God bless us and, and we prospered and the business grew and it became more secure and things were going great. And as the business grew, we ended up with some money in the bank, which made us a bit more secure. We had uh, good contracts with customers that we'd known well and built relationships with. And so we'd done work for them. So we've got more money coming in. We'd got work planned for the next two or three months and everything was going great. And then it was about three years ago, in a period of about two and a half weeks, everything changed. The... Um, we had got hit with two massive bills that we hadn't been expecting and didn't know were coming. And that pretty much cleared out our rainy day money in the bank. The same time that happened, or the same week, the jobs that we got planned for the next three months, um, the client ran out of money and said, we're mothballing those plans, we're not doing that. And then a week later, the company that we'd done the work for for the last three months phoned us and said they'd declared themselves bankrupt. In two and a half weeks, we lost the money in the bank, all our future work, and the money that was coming in. And it seemed like an absolutely hopeless situation. My brother and I, we spent two or three hours on the phone for the first day, trying to call in favours, trying to find work. Over the next week, we tried so many different things, and every avenue we turned down, there was absolutely nothing. And I was sat talking to Claire, and explaining where we were at and what was going on. Our company's called Expression Media, and I said these words, and as I said them, they sort of just bounced back at me. I said, we've got to find a way to keep Expression Media going, because everything we've got comes from that company. And you know, straight away, it was almost as if God said, really? You're really going to stand there and say that everything that you have got comes from this company? See, what had happened was over a period, through the good times when things were going well, my confidence and my hope have become in the money that we got in the bank. The relationships we've got these customers, these customers would never let us down. The work that we've got coming, my hope had transferred to things that weren't permanent. Things that in a moment can be swept away. And in that moment, it seemed absolutely hopeless. But Paul, in his moment of disaster or crisis or things going wrong somehow keeps hold of that hope and I think we find the answer really right at the very very start of that chapter Paul says Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus Paul's identity Paul knew who he was in Christ doesn't matter what the circumstances were like what the situations were like that he found himself in Paul's hope was still in the fact that he was a servant of Christ Jesus. And he says in 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knew who he was, 
and he knew who he was believing in. And you know, when those tidal waves come and circumstances hit us, when you find yourself, if you utter those words like I did, that this is hopeless, stop and ask yourself, who am I? What is my core identity? I was working, my, my identity I saw in that circumstance was that I was a businessman, that I was someone with some money in the bank, that I was someone who was in relationship with these customers who'd never let me down. And so I tried to deal with the circumstance and situation from what I believed I was, a businessman, someone with money, someone with relationship, where actually my way to deal with that situation is that I'm a child of God, that I'm in God's family. And God says, he knows what I need. He knows, he knows all the things I need. He knows I need a home. He knows I need food. He knows everything of the circumstances and situations of my life. The first thing that Paul does that enables him to ride out the storm and deal with the circumstances, he knew who he was and he knew who he was believing in. The next thing I think the chapter shows us, or that I think is really interesting, is what is it that Paul is hoping for? What is he confidently expecting God to do? You see, you'd have thought that being in prison, Paul's hope and focus would be, God, get me out of prison. Or God, somehow, let life be a little bit simpler. I don't want to be shipwrecked for a fourth time. Threes. But I've got this picture of Paul lying in the sea, the third time he was shipwrecked, and looking up and saying, God, really? <laughs> Seriously, did I not learn the lesson the first two times? What's going on? But Paul's hope was bigger than his, his physical circumstances and situations that he faced. Paul's hope and confident expectation, it wasn't for health, for wealth, or for comfort, or for an easy life. In fact, Paul experienced just the opposite. Paul's hope and expectation was that he would fulfill the plan and purposes that God had for him. In verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. What Paul's saying is, I'm confident, believe, confidently expecting and believing that I won't be ashamed, I won't fail in fulfilling what God has called me to do. So much so that even if that means my death, so long as in my death I fulfill what God has called me to do, then that's okay. Paul placed fulfilling what God had come to do higher than even life and death, let alone just disasters and circumstances. Because Paul knew that true fulfillment comes from doing what you and I were designed to do. The Bible tells us that God had a plan for us from before the foundations of the world, a plan and a purpose for your life. But so often, you know, we judge whether things are going well, if, if we've got, if in this world, if we've got money, if we've got what we believe is security, if life's comfortable, then somehow we think that that's success. Chris Evans, who's he's had a bit of a resurgence now, but in the 90s when he was at the height of his powers and had all his money and fame, he was famously quoted saying, I've been to the top and there's nothing there. The fulfillment doesn't come out of wealth or a comfortable life. It comes out of fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for us. So what are you hoping for? When I was growing up, I grew up in an Elam church, and every, I don't know, maybe every six months, um, Elam, you'd have a missionary would come. They'd be on um, like a rest period, and they'd come home, and they'd go around the different Elam churches, and they'd talk about what they were doing. And they'd come and they'd bring slides, do you remember the old slide machines, the slideshows, and they'd show, and if it was, 
missionaries that haven't been to the church before, they talk about how God called them from whatever their job was into the mission field, and then they share these slides, these amazing things that they're doing. And you used to sit there and think, gosh, God is really using them. Look at the plan that God has for their life. Isn't it wonderful? And it is, and it's great. But you know, God has a plan and purpose for you. And your plan and purpose might be worked out at the school gate or sat next to the person that you've sat next to at work for the last five years or in your neighborhood or in your community. And God is just as excited about the plan he has for your life as the plan he had for Paul's or for the missionary that we, that we see that come back. God's plan is for you and I to change the world in our sphere of influence. Everybody knows who this guy is. Usain Bolt, he's the world's fastest man. He's a six-time Olympic gold medalist. He's set 11 world records and he's the fastest man to ever walk on the planet or run on the planet. And Usain Bolt is from Jamaica. Jamaica has a massive history of producing fantastic sprinters. No one really knows why, whether it's genetics, DNA, no one really knows. But he was spotted when he was playing cricket when he was at junior school by his PE teacher who realised how quick he was running in between the wickets and suggested that maybe he took up running. By the age of 15, he was six foot five, with a huge physique, and he was starting to have some success in junior tournaments. And his coach at the time writes of his absolute frustration with Usain Bolt, because he could see in this man was the potential, the DNA, the genetics, the technique, everything to be what we know he's now become a world-class sprinter. But you're saying, like junk food and takeaways, and used to skip off training to go and play basketball with his mates down the local park. And, the, and his coach writes about the sheer frustration of seeing someone who has got so much potential say, I don't really want to do the work or the training. I just want to have an easy life. And you know, when we decide that what we're hoping for, for God to do, is just to give us an easy life, we so sell ourselves and sell God short. Because God's plan and purpose is for you and I to change the world. But sometimes we look for success because we see it as having money in the bank or comfort or security. You know, very often our version and view of success and failure is very, very different to God's version of success and failure. But God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And Paul went through a great deal of hardship in fulfilling that plan. And sometimes fulfilling what God has called us to do can be difficult. There was a few weeks ago, Mary had the microphone and she said, you remember, describe God in one word. I think it was Cameron that said, scary. And we all sort of laughed quite nervously because we kind of know what he means, don't we? There's a, there's a brilliant book I read lots of times from when I was a kid, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm sure most of you read it. And um, the children go through this wardrobe into the land of Narnia. And they, the children find out they're going to meet Aslan. Aslan in the book represents God, and it's a lion in the book. And the little girl finds out that they're going to meet Aslan, and that Aslan's a lion. And the little girl says, I'm not sure I'm comfortable meeting a lion. Is he safe? And the cat says, safe, safe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And you know, you and I, the plan and purpose that God has called you to, what we're hoping for, what we're confidently expecting and believing for, is going to stretch us. 
And at times it will make us feel nervous and at times it will make us feel uncomfortable. But it's God's plan to change the world. And we face, we face difficulties and, 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 and working it out and resting what God has called us to do on an individual basis. But even as a group, a few weeks ago, we had our church meeting. We talked about the fact that this building's a little bit small for us and it's a bit uncomfortable and it's a bit awkward. And Neil and Mary shared that as they've looked over the last few years what God wants us to do, no clear door or path has really opened. And it's easy to say, isn't it? God, this is uncomfortable. Why, why aren't you doing something? But God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. And our role in that is to concentrate and hope and believe that we fulfill what God has called us to do. We focus on reaching the community. We focus on sharing God's love and God's peace and God's hope with the world around us. What are you hoping for? I don't know if you can read that there. It's a bit small. But it's, it's that same chapter of Philippians, verse 18 to 21, but from the message. And this is what it writes, what Paul says. I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. Church, that's what we should be hoping for. As Marlene prayed this morning, that's what we're expecting. That's what we're confident believing that God will do in and through us. Everything that he wants to do in and through us will be done because when you and I fulfill what God has called us to do, when our hope is for more than just God meeting our, our basic circumstances, when it's more than that, God uses us to change the world in which we live in. And the last thing, what do we do with the hope that we have? What did Paul do with the hope? Well, it was an anchor that kept him secure and confident. His hope drove him forward to fulfill what God had called him to be. Well, what Paul did with that hope and what we're called to do is to share that hope with someone. You and I, each day we go out to our work, to our school, to our community, and we're supposed to take that hope and carry that hope with us to the circumstances and the situations and the people that we meet, people who feel that their life is hopeless. I spend quite a few hours of my week coaching kids football just because my kids are involved in football. And every now and again, you get involved in the families of the people that you, you're working with. And there's a, there's, we've got a few families that are going through, constantly seem to be going through difficult times. And a couple of years ago, we were dealing with one family and it was a real mess. And my mom and dad were up. And I was explaining to my dad and my mom this, what was going on with this family and no idea what to do and how can we help them. And my dad said, yeah, that's, that's, that's a real tough one. I said, it is. I said, you know what? It feels absolutely hopeless. And as I said those words, my mom's head snapped up. And she says, don't you ever say it's hopeless. It's not hopeless because you're involved. And it's not because of my great counseling skills or my diplomacy or anything like that. What she was, thank, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> but she knows that because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of my identity in him, I carry that hope, so no situation I go to can be hopeless because I take the hope of Jesus into that situation. And that's what you and I are called to do. Share that hope. Hope, as Paul talks about here, is a confident expectation, confidently expecting that God is going to work in and through us. We need to know who we are and who we believe in. The circumstances and situations we find ourselves in Maybe we find ourselves in, that, in those circumstances and situations. I found it myself in that tricky situation 
because I was a businessman. We find ourselves having to deal with situations because we're parents or because we're an employee or because we're a husband or a wife. But even in those situations when we're there in what seems like one identity, our core identity of who we are is a servant of Christ. And because of that, we have a confident expectation. We can believe that God is going to use us to change the world, the community around us as we share that hope with someone. So as you live your life tomorrow, whether your life seems exciting or it's mundane, we do it with our faith placed in God, not just hoping that God is somehow going to help us survive the day, but with a confident expectation that through us, as he fulfills his plan in us, we change the world and the community that we live in.